In our top 20 episodes of 2020 was a massively different episode that we recorded. Well, COVID-19 forced a lot of people to work remotely and conferences like APTA's next conference were done virtually. Well, to kick that off, we actually held our own online virtual next, well, happy hour. Kicked it off the night before the virtual next conference, and it featured some really, really great guests like Jerry Durham talking about the future of the patient experience post COVID-19. Johnny Owens and Kyle Kimbrell talking about the evolution of blood flow restriction training. Sky Donovan and Megan Brown, they talked about picking your own starting five who should be closest to you in your network to make sure your career goes right. We talked about reducing clinical chaos with Tara Jo Minal from the Academy of Orthopedic Physical Therapy. We dug into exercise prescription during the NBA season with Matt Tuttle of the Denver Nuggets. And we wrapped things up with Steve Anderson talking about what he believes in with more than 30 years in the physical therapy profession. This was a one-shot deal. Uh, the first time we ever recorded an episode live on Facebook, and we stacked up all these great guests to kick off that next conference. Well, this episode cracks the top 20 in 2020 on PT Pinecast. Ladies and gentlemen, we are excited to have you here with us tonight. As we try something completely new, a 100% live and unedited broadcast of our show featuring eight physical therapists from around the country over the next 90 minutes. My name is physical therapist Jim McKay. Uh, we thought it would be pretty insensitive not to acknowledge the current climate around our country as we start the show. Right now in the United States is in the midst of turmoil. Protests are taking place as we speak in cities across the country, challenging social injustices. We had the option of canceling this event, but we decided to proceed to bring some semblance of connectedness to our community online of physical therapists, physical therapist assistants and students from around the country and around the world, and to also amplify the voices of our colleagues. You can see we've decided as a team behind the scenes and on camera to wear black as an entire show staff and many colleagues around the world are doing so as well in a show of solidarity with those who have been and continue to be mistreated. If you've seen the post circulating around the profession prompting a blackout where those in support wear black and share why this social issue matters to you, that is what we're referencing. Please feel free to share those comments in the comments of this broadcast on Facebook. For the next 90 minutes, we hope to bring the profession together and share in some learning. With that being said, thank you so much for joining. Let's start the show. And here we go as we bring in our very first guest. Uh, excited to have this guy on, Batten Leadoff. He loves poodles, bourbon, his wife, and the patient experience in no particular order. Uh, he also loves helping patients be most successful in this healthcare system. Ladies and gentlemen, welcoming our first guest to the show, Jerry Durham. And there he is. Of oh, course. Hey. Oh. oh, hey. Oh, hey. Good oh, 
<laughs> Jerry, welcome to the show. Thanks for uh, for taking a, a chance on us doing this Facebook Live thing as we do it. Uh, I need to ask what we're drinking. We always like to say the first question is always the hardest. What do you got tonight? I've got some Old Forester 1920 Prohibition style. That went with this, my Mad Hatter tattoo, because every time I got a tattoo, I got my best bottle of bourbon at the liquor store next door. So that went with my Mad Hatter tattoo. So, And then just in case, by the way, we never know how things may go. I've got some local Pennsylvania, Bluebird, 112 proof. That's for when things get exciting. And then a gentleman named Mike sent me this great bottle of Wyoming whiskey. So, you know, you never, you just be prepared, Jimmy. Be prepared. Uh, if you've watched any of uh, Jerry's Facebook Live broadcasts, you can see him uh, on Instagram, Jerry Durham PT, Twitter, Jerry underscore Durham PT. Uh, you always want to be prepared. Uh, you do those live Facebook broadcasts. We want to bring you on. Uh, if we can take a look at what you even added as your name, you use the hashtag time is now. Um, what does that mean to you? I opened the show with some comments uh, about the, the current climate. Can't yeah, ignore those, shouldn't uh, ignore those, but wh where's that go for you? I, I think most people understand I'm, I'm a little reserved, um, tend to keep everything close to my chest, really don't share my opinions or comments. Rather than type in the obvious things, I just thought, you know, time is now applies to a lot of things um, and it applies applies to the current climate of it's time to make the change, people. I'm 53 years old. I was in Los Angeles going to PT school during the Rodney King riots. Wow. So we'll leave it at that. So the time is now. You can take it how you want it. I want you to use it as looking at the current situation. In the state we're in, I live in Philadelphia. Um, things have been crazy here the last three or four nights. So I know it is everywhere. So, yeah. so I just want to keep it there with my name, make everybody know there's there's I appreciate you going on with the show. I appreciate you starting with that. I understand this is bigger than any of us yet. We got to go forward, so let's just keep this. You know, let's do it. Uh, before, uh, but when we when we first asked you uh, to uh, to come on the show, really, what you would ask, what do you want me to talk about? You on your Facebook broadcast can go legendary. Some of them are five minutes, some of them are two hours, and we like that. You go off the cuff, and I really said with you focusing on the patient experience, we got you for fifteen minutes. Here's what I want to focus on. How is and earlier was a COVID situation, but how how are the current situation is going to change your focus is usually on the front desk and clinics and paying attention to the patient experience man things are changing time is now what's that look like so here here's my thing and i think we even put a, the possibility of talking about a little tech in there and there's a place for everything and i'm going to tell you a lot of what i say may sound like i made it up for this day and time but i didn't i didn't make it up for covid i didn't make it up for um what's going on now with poor mr floyd and what he had to go through, um, I didn't. What I did was I took what I was already doing. I woke up, I, I consider like March 12th the tipping point for COVID. I woke up on March 13th, like a bunch of people went, what the fuck am I doing here? My patients, my school, my education, is this the profession I wanna go into? Everybody, retired everywhere. And I went through about a three day reflection on my content, everything I have, everything I've taught, everything I was teaching the day before. And I said, does this apply today? Cause I'm a little worried it doesn't. And I went back and I looked at feedback and I talked to some of my current clients at that time. And I, I understood that yes, this is this information that you're asking me about is important regardless of a pandemic is important, even oh so important with everything else going on, because the information I share is about caring about the person, 
the person who is your patient, the person who may be your patient, the person in your community that needs your help. And if that doesn't sound like I wrote that out for today, nothing does, but I can prove to you I've always shared that stuff. So what's important going forward is this, is the person on the other end of the phone. So here's one thing I'm going to say, and I teach this to all my front desk classes. I tell them the true test of any first phone call, which is the start of a patient experience, basically, basically, for argument's sake. The true test of that phone call is when Jimmy McKay, who has low back pain, called your office to schedule. When he hangs up, he has to say, hmm, that was all about me. Hmm, I don't need to call anywhere else. And if you do that 100% of the time, we all win. And by all of us, your patients win, your business wins, your providers win, your community wins. It's that simple. It ain't easy, but it's that simple. It sounds like you uh, you led with listening to make it about <laughs> me or making it about the person you're interacting with. And this could be a front, as you mentioned, this could be a front desk experience. This could be a, an interaction with someone that you, uh, you just met. It could be any of that. Yeah, so that I, I used to do, you know, first touch point. I used to teach that as the first touch point. Now I have this, what I call, hold on, let me see the name of it. It's literally on my wall with all, how to manage every conversation. And by the way, it doesn't matter if you're a provider, doesn't matter if you're the billing team. I love, I talked some of these groups into bringing their billing team into my front desk training class. And I've gotten some of the best feedback from the billing team. So, you know, it's, uh, it, it's been good and it's gotta be about the person. It's got to be about them, not you. It's got to be about caring. I'm, I'm going to say something maybe a little controversial. Caring is overrated in this context. Why? Right, what's that mean? I've never been in a clinic where someone didn't tell me their front desk cares. And I went, awesome. You just checked one of six boxes. And the problem is you're missing the other six. And I got a secret for you. Caring never paid the bills. Right? Getting people to arrive pay, stay, and do your marketing for you, pays your bills. How do you do that? You make it all about that person on the other end of the phone. So yeah. it's a win-win. Everything in the business flows down from patient success. You want to be successful in business? Make your patients successful. You want your employees to be successful? Make your patients successful. All right, let's pivot a little bit. And I say a little bit because technology is now needed to be catered to me. Uh, I can text right now if you guys haven't tried. I'm not I'm not compensated by Drizzly, the great app. You can get uh, Angel's Envy bourbon delivered to you. Uh, you get uh, food delivered. Food delivery services have exploded. So uh, tech fitting in our physio world, we've known it's it's needed to do that now more than ever as we push forward. Tech should allow you to do what you should have already been doing. So think about this. You're like, come on, Jerry. And by the way, I made that up. That's me. <clears throat> think about this. What is everybody saying about telehealth? It's hard. I've got to think a little. And by the way, I love the feedback. I'm not made. By the way, <clears throat> I'm happy I didn't have to do telehealth. So we'll leave it at that. It's, it's, it's hard. And I go, share with me. Tell me why. Well, you know, I got to communicate. I got to use the right words. I got to do this. I got to do that. And I'm like, Rock on. You will be successful. If you acknowledge that that's the hard part of telehealth, then you're going to be successful. And then, by the way, when you transfer back to some telehealth and in the clinic, guess what? You're going to be better in the clinic. So tech should facilitate. Now, let's move it to the front end real quick. Right, so right. the provider. Let's 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 move it to the front end. 
Because by the way, I was around before most of this shit was available. Any of it, you name me anything, right? I went through PT school without the internet. Um, yes. I wouldn't know how to do it without a Google. Dude, I, had to pa- I had to pause for a second with that. I had the Motorola flip point and God forbid you use it because your fucking bill was going to be through the roof. Um, <clears throat> not the, not the um, American psycho Motorola. I had the, I wide the pre razors thicker. Um, tech at the front end. So everybody, Oh, people like to text. So all the business owners ran out and bought text applications and they were texting everybody. And I said, cool. Did you ask these people how they want to be communicated with? No, everybody wants text. They all want text. I'm like, start asking. Then you find out it's about 60, 40, 70, 30. And I'm like, why are you texting everybody? So the technology can't be everybody wants this. Let's drop it in. And we ran into that. And I helped some people through this. And I watched some people fell at it immensely. We ran into this when telehealth hit. Oh, text here. This is the text for, this is the technology for COVID. Let's use it. It's the tool we got to use. And then all of a sudden it was like, oh, fuck, nobody's scheduled. And I went, no shit, because you're trying to sell tech. You didn't ask. You didn't listen. You didn't. Right. And by the way, yeah, I was like, I, I don't want to be the bearer of bad news, but you don't have as good a relationship as you think you do with your people, your right. patients, your clients, your customers, your your people that are patients. Um, so, so technology pushing forward, really, we, we've talked about the same thing twice, right? The future is making it about me and listening. Technology is great, but I heard a, a, a great statement that stays with me, which is uh, you can't solve a people problem with a technology solution. You can, sec- you can solve a technology problem with a technology so- solution, but connecting with a human is a people problem, people solution. So ask them how they'd like to be communicated with first before you rush in to maybe signing a contract with a, with a tech solution that maybe isn't going to work out. And we will prompt you if you're watching this live uh, on Facebook or on YouTube, drop your questions or comments uh, below and we'll see if we can get to some of those. We've got a few minutes left with Jerry here. You uh, you talk a lot about front desk being so mis- misunderstood. I've heard you say it's the secret weapon of a, of a clinic or the unused secret weapon of a clinic now more than ever because it sounds like if you empower them, the role of the front desk is to listen to the patient. So... March 12th rolls around. You pick the phone up. I tell everybody, are people bringing in fear, doubt, and uncertainty on March 12th? And they're like, oh, yeah, they're so worried. I said, but they had it on March 11th. It just wasn't about COVID. I said, people calling in your clinic. Remember, March 12th, for everybody, the context. March 12th is like someone flipped the switch. So March 11th was pre-COVID. So someone was calling your clinic. They had fear, doubt, and uncertainty. Am I calling the right place? Can they help me? Is it going to be too expensive? Where's the parking lot? Will, will it be a male or a female? Will they put their hands on me? Will I exercise? Fear, doubt, and uncertainty. Like crazy. And it was easy to manage if you knew that that's what they bring. So I'm like, March 12th, all that shit still exists, but it shifted down to will I fucking die if I come into your clinic and get physical therapy? And so we're back to tech again. If you didn't acknowledge that before you called anybody and said, hey, by the way, Jimmy, um, yeah, I know we had to cancel your appointment, but we got this thing called telehealth. Let's get you scheduled. And you went, yeah, you know what? Uh, Thanks, Jerry. I think I'll wait. And it wasn't because he didn't want telehealth. It wasn't because he didn't think it wouldn't help. It was because he had no fucking reason. Sorry with the mouth. Sorry. Um, he had no reason. I get passionate about this. He had no reason to engage that 
to achieve his goals, his desired results, his outcomes, because you had never really talked to him about that because you just put him on the schedule for Thursday because you took his insurance. With that, I'll drink out of my um, or my declaration. Yeah, no, the constitution. I have a constitution glass and a declaration of independence. Class. Let's give people a, a chance if they're listening to this because uh, I've heard many people say, as we got a few minutes left with Jerry, this is a perfect time to start and uh, formulate and open your own clinic. Agree? Disagree? Uh, me? Oh, fully agree. Fully agree. And he, and here's what I believe. Me, Jerry. I believe that everybody's so worried about this. I believe the future. Yes. Yes. Healthcare will still be available in hospitals. But I believe that 10 of you will open a clinic and serve. I'm going to make up a crazy number. Don't do the math. It doesn't matter. 10 of you will open your own clinics and serve 2,000 people a year instead of one clinic opening, being this massive conglomerate of corporate-backed money serving 2,000 people a year. That's what I believe the future holds. There will, be, there will be smaller groups, yet those 10 people in their 10 separate clinics will be smart enough to gather up. Uh, well, form their own network. I'll just use an old school word I think is old school is they'll form their own network. Don't think insurance right. network network is just a group of people moving towards a common goal and able to communicate with each other and, and doing so regularly. Yeah. Uh, talk about clientexperiencecompany.com before we give you your parting shot. This is something pretty new with you. Yeah. So I finally put everything together that took me about 12 years. Yeah, about 12 years. I had my clinic for 10 years. And then I woke up one day when we decided we had to go out of network back when that word was unheard of. And I'm sorry to say, but most of my colleagues were the biggest detractors of me going out of network, told me I wasn't going to be able to do it and wasn't going to be able to be successful. And that's when I discovered, oops, sorry, it's mirrored. Um, that's when I discovered most of this. Um, and my mentors from entrepreneurs organization and started reading all those books. The client experience company is my work of 10 years of taking my clinics I had three or four offices at the time and flipping them out of network overnight and figuring out that I had to do something differently because now I was going to be collecting $150 from people and billing their insurance, by the way, where they could go around the corner for 20 bucks. And so I had two options, close the business or learn how to run it, or sorry, close the practice because this is important or learn how to run a business. So I ran a business and over those 11, 12 years, everything I learned it's a culmination of the client experience company that went live about a month ago. And it is a lot of people coming together. You will see my, I asked, believe it or not, Jerry Durham, asked the web guy if we should put my picture on there. I'm like, we could put my, I don't want my picture. I want it to be about the experts. So brought a lot of people together, experts in different fields, because your client experience involves marketing. It involves the front desk, sales. Here, let's say dirty words today. You guys right. were offended by fuck. I'll say sales. Sales is the worst four-letter word. Oh, like, yeah. It was sales. And then we got the clinical side, right? So I've got people to help with the clinical. And then we got the back end. What are you doing with people when they're no longer in your sites? That's the client experience company. Go check it out. Uh, give it a rip. Uh, you ready to do your parting shot, Bridget? Let's Real quick. I want to make um, Chase Edwards said something about the biopsychosocial model of healthcare. And- okay with things going on today. Yeah. And the beauty of what I'm sharing right now, Chase, is my beliefs of how to run a successful business and how to be as successful as you've ever wanted to be personally stems from this. 
if we all this all says nothing against you, Chase, because you said it very way better than I could have. What this says is focus on the person. Now, we read our research, we get our RCTs, we throw things into these net, uh, huge groups. I get it. We have to understand that. And then wrap your head around it, go walk in a room and go, so Jimmy, what do you need from me? And you will be successful. So I just wanted to address that. Thank you, Jimmy. Uh, appreciate Chase uh, asking the questions. Please do and drop them in the comments below. We can bring them up on screen and reference them. Uh, before we're done, we're not done. Bridget, let's do the parting shot. That Jaeger, I'm going to tell you, that Jaeger, that Jaeger is a fucking bad trigger, bro. I knew that. All right. Parting shot is our our chance on our show. And again, you can listen to us on iTunes and Spotify and all that. And now on, on Facebook and uh, YouTube as well. Uh, parting shot, last chance to uh, to really just give your mic drop moment or something you want to leave with the audience as we move on. I, I want to thank Chase. I believe he was the one who threw this out there and put this thing together. Sorry. Curfew time, kids. Wow. Yeah. Curfew time in Philly. Um, yeah, that's uh, yeah. All right. So, um, so here's my parting shot. Let's wrap around to the beginning. The world is about community. I did my Facebook today. If you guys want to share, uh, learn more about me, watch my Facebook live this morning. It, there's no business in there because there was no room for business today. The world is about community and you will be successful when you learn who you can serve in your community. That's the number one step to business success. Who can I serve? That is your community. Find your community, learn everything you can about your community because I have a, I have bad news. You can't serve everybody. It doesn't mean you can't help a lot of different people, but it means you can't serve everybody. That is business right? I'm going to be a physical therapist and help everybody. Don't do it. Find people who can help the other ones you can't help. So I used to, on my first phone call, when you chose not to schedule with me, it was too expensive. It was too this, it was too that. The phone call ended with Jimmy, I hear you. And Jimmy, because you called here and you wanted help with that low back pain, my job is if I can't help you, I got to help you find the right place. I have two phone numbers of two places for you to call. I was the business owner and I felt damn good doing that. And if you approach every person like that, if you understand who you can serve, you won't have to do that a lot because you only have the people calling you can serve and you will be successful with that person as a patient. Your business will be successful and you will have personal success. Serve your community. Love it. Jerry Durham landed on serving your community. Thanks for bad lead off virtual next happy hour. Sorry, we can't be in person, but we are what physically distant but socially connected tonight here. Uh, we're back. Johnny Owens, Kyle Kimball from Owens Recovery Science in like uh, 10, 15 seconds. Do not move. This is PT Pinecast. All right. Well, look at this. It's a party, gentlemen. We're back. Uh, Johnny Owens and Kyle Kimbrell from Owens Recovery Science. Uh, thanks for doing this 90-minute thing. You guys were hanging out in the green room for a little bit before this. That's yeah, good. I, Fancy. Jerry always Fancy. gives me – we're on – I think Jerry and I are on a different end of the spectrum of the way we behave. So um, <laughs> he always gets mad at me because I, I have my arms crossed and I have a closed – 
I don't know what the heck he calls it, but um, so close yeah. stance or what? Are you, like you're yeah, listening? Yeah, I'm, I'm a clo- yeah, I'm, I'm too closed off. So I'm I'm gonna work hard to be open hands today, <laughs> in, in honor of Jerry. All right, well, uh, guys, be uh, w- welcome to the show. Uh, of course, usually, if you guys have been to conferences, next CSM uh, student conclave, we usually find a bar the night before the conference kicks off. And of course, APTA is doing this virtually for twenty bucks. By the way, uh, twenty bucks for your content at next uh, in your living room, pants optional. Um, we usually find a bar and, and kind of do this sort of thing. And we were just kind of upset and talking about this with, uh, with Juliet and Bridget, some of the producers, PT students that help us out with the show. We said, why do we have to cancel this? Let's do one of these things. So, uh, guys, welcome to the show. I got to start off with something with, uh, with Kyle. Now, Kyle, you're coming to the show. Your background, you've been a PT for what, close to, to two decades right now. But- oh, I'm not that close. Am I? Seven. 17, I guess I am. Close. I rounded up. Yeah, but, uh, I found out this about you. Twitter and BFR changed your practice as a clinician. Yeah. I figured yeah. We're on social media. We're talking with the two guys from uh, Owens Recovery Science, focusing on BFR. We'll get into that just a little bit. If you want to ask a question, drop it in the comments. How did Twitter and BFR change your practice as a clinician? Well, funny enough, you know, like I'd always avoided Twitter. I avoided social media altogether. And then started finding that there were people were referencing different papers that I was like, I can't see that unless I'm on Twitter. So got on Twitter and, you know, I think within 20 minutes of being on Twitter, Jerry Durham was my friend and we were talking like, that's just how it goes <laughs> on Twitter. So I uh, got to know him from that. And then and somewhere along the way, I uh, saw something where the ESPN was going to be at Center for the Intrepid down in San Antonio. Um, and they were going to be featuring Johnny and blood flow restriction. And when I saw blood flow restriction, I thought, man, I've heard of that. I, I can't remember where I read it exactly, but I've heard of that. I, I really want to kind of see that thing. Uh, it ended up being this Veterans Day piece that they did uh, down there at Center for the Intrepid featuring these, these guys that were recovering after blast trauma and how Johnny and them were using BFR. And so watch that, just got very intrigued by it. Followed Johnny uh, somewhere along the way, just kind of started basically stalking Johnny on Twitter uh, and ended up hosting a course for him and becoming friends and ultimately kind of working for him. So, um, and, and that just, you know, the, the things I learned on Twitter from the interactions that I got really kind of energized my practice and then learning BFR for sure modified or very much kind of revolutionized what we were doing in clinic and energized just my um uh, uh, approaching clinic and and, and kind of I don't want to say fire for the passion, but just gave me a a, 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 a new focus, something that gave me new energy and and, and really kind of encouraged me to kind of keep pushing forward. Because I think after I, at that time I'd been practicing for about thirteen years, and you know we just watched our payment kind of continually go down and the amount of paperwork continually go up, and you're just going, good God, like where does this stop? Um, and so having something new and exciting was, was really kind of cool. I like that. And the reason I wanted to leave with that is uh, we hear a lot from students about, um, you know, focusing on burnout. How do I not burn out? And the fact that you were 12, 13 years into your career and you just looked in a different place and you, you know, I, I, if you were like me, I jumped on Twitter and just kind of looked around a lot and did a lot of reading, not a lot of commenting at first. And to hear that you got to got re-inspired by connectedness and that's if you were sticking around from the beginning of the broadcast with jerry listening and connecting were his two themes so i like yeah. to 
to see that someone getting re reinvigorated and revitalized by their pa in their passion by connecting with other people with with the same or different ideas. Um, so BFR, you mentioned uh, connecting with Johnny, blood flow restriction rehabilitation training. If you listen to our show, you uh, you just heard Johnny on not long ago. You should bring him on every couple of months. You had two things going. I think we got you on the night before. Project 11 dropped on ESPN, and uh, you were working on the PACER project, which is APTA's uh, litany of resources, uh, post-COVID rehabilitation exercise project. Uh, you got a lot. You got a lot going on. After we we talked the night before PACER aired, uh, or excuse me, Project 11 aired on ESPN. What'd you hear after that? What was the reaction? What were the comments? They should have shown more rehab. <laughs> we just hear that a lot. Anya on here right now. Yeah. on here. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So that's that's funny. I like so I you know obviously I'm around a lot more of the rehab folks and also around a lot of the the same folks. Project Eleven is about Alex Smith and his injury and how we started working with him. Um, and his injury is very similar to a war type injury. So a lot of the soldiers are like, man, I wish they would have kind of gone more through his rehab journey, you know, we, we get it. He was a first round draft pick and all this. So, um, that was good to hear, but obviously it's a biased group, but, but it was, it was super positive and, um, he's, he's an amazing guy. Um, it was great working with him. And I, I think his goal is to help inspire people with that kind of injury and, and see what he can do to help, you know, he, he loves physical therapy and loves rehab and wants to, to help people after that type of, of problem. Yeah, that's great. Uh, you guys climbing the walls yet? Uh, whenever I text Johnny, it's always not, you know, it's, it's how you do him. Then immediately after, where are you doing? Uh, with a lot of travel restrictions right now, Owens Recovery Science, you guys doing courses all over the country, all over the world. Um, looking to uh, looking to get back in the game and start making sure you can you can share BFR knowledge and certification with uh, with colleagues around the planet. Yeah, so July, we're starting back up. So we have a bunch of private courses. Um, so that's a nice testing ground because we're going to go into people's facilities and teams and, and healthcare systems where they control the, the narrative a little bit and we can understand what's best practices. You know, um, as, as most of us know, the guidance has been pretty sporadic from a federal, state, and local level of what you should do. Um, so we're going to do that. And then we, you know, we've got courses in Europe in, in July as well. And, and so we're going to see, but, but yeah, people are, are starting to really like hit us up. Like, you know, when are you guys going to go again? So that's exciting. Now we talked a little bit about, uh, really the, 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 the growth of blood flow restriction rehabilitation training in terms of being a really, you know, focused on center for the intrepid and blast injuries and amputations, then performance. And now you're talking about geriatric adoption and pediatric adoption, where I think we mentioned before, if you had come out of the gate with BFR training a pediatric and geriatric population, they wouldn't let you near a human being. But now those things are, are being adopted. So, so talk a little bit about where those things get, get applied because you, you too are amongst the team who get to teach this to practitioners around the world. Yeah, I, I mean, I think it, muscle is such an important tissue, you know, um, and I think what we what we see when people get injured or um, sick is that 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 muscle it really goes away, and, and there's all kind of different things that happen to to the system that are negative. Um, the loss of strength being the obvious one, but increases in inflammatory markers and and, and losses in blood flow to the limb and, and those sorts of things as well. So um, just kind of really figuring out 
how best do we use it in these larger at-risk populations? I think I've said recently to a number of different people, you know, the musculoskeletal, it's, that's the low hanging fruit. That's the obvious, you know, you kind of hear this and you go, yeah, duh. I mean, of course it makes sense for the NBA player over the course of a long season. And, you know, they can't keep banging themselves up, beating themselves up in the gym and, you know, but they need to stay fit and keep that muscle on. But, you know, it really matters a lot more to the spinal cord injury who has completely lost any sort of communication with their lower extremities. And that muscle is just going to waste away because they're lying in bed and there's no conduction of, of, of the nervous system to that region. And so that muscle is just going to go bye-bye. And so are there things that we can do to maybe just help maintain the health of the lower extremities? Are there things that we can do to the older person that um, has just been in the hospital for pneumonia and is recovering and then, you know, or say like with regard to the, the PACER project, the post-COVID person, somebody that's that's been in the ICU and is coming off of that. And Johnny, of course, can, can speak more eloquently to that but i think there's a lot of targets that uh, are still to be realized and, and i think that's where you know in, in many ways our, our focus is right now is how do we get into these spaces well how do we really help these people that have a big need you know the athlete they have a need but it's like okay you're still getting up you're walking around you're going up and downstairs you're you're basically independent but you know can we really kind of change other people's lives in a, in a more meaningful manner, I, I think is kind of an interesting target. and something we're um, really kind of focused on. That's what I'm, I really love, you know, our, our company and the way we're able to do this right now is, is it, it follows my initial goals with everything I've done in rehab is it, it's really cool. If you can, you know, say this is something I think might have an effect and then test it and then do a study and then publish it. And so that's that's kind of what I've done in my career, and that's our goal um, with Orange Recovery Science, and that's our blood restriction right now. If you're to say, you know, what does my day mostly consist of? It's working on all these research projects around the world, you know. And so, from diabetes trial with a German diabetes center to an equine trial, um, looking at, you know, we learned so much from the horse models of what happens in NeoA and stem cell and things like that. We just had our first registered um, pediatric trial with the University of Connecticut, uh, Connecticut Children's Hospital. Um, so it's really cool to see that it's gone, like you said, Jimmy, from soldiers, you know, that's easy, you know, it's almost like, yes, sir, I'll do this, whatever, you know, just don't kill me to athletes who are like, I'll do anything to now we're like, uh, um, you know, what do we think with someone in an ICU? And I, I think this PACER project, uh, it didn't get as much traction as, as I wish it would have, but um, I, I really, what what we're gonna put out with this one, I think this week, um, it's really interesting, and and I've I've really thought deeply on it. You know, everything from, you know, how we're affecting the the ACE two, you know, receptor to what do we do with with these highly oxidative people that are dying, you know, at a much higher level. We thought it was gonna be a pulmonary problem, um, and it's not. It's it's an endothelial vascular problem, and those are the ones that are dying at an extraordinary rate. And we, we actually have a whole lot of, of data that help us from some of our trials. And we just have an amazing trial that came out on a Parkinson's population who's the same oxidative stress group. Um, so I, I think, you know, we're just kind of at the tip of the iceberg. We're finally, we are able to, I hate to use this, but use these other groups to bring it to where I've always wanted to see it go. 
That's great. Well, uh, you know, training and learning around the world, and you were mentioning in the uh, the Pacer episode we did where you initialized uh, BFR and kind of introduced that. You were reaching out to studies over in Europe and and, and picking their brain on how you can utilize that as well with this particular po- uh, population with Pacer. Uh, so that's great. We got we got you guys for another minute or two. We've got a, a question from the audience. Someone actually out there going to look to uh, come in the studio right now, and it's Matt. Oh, oh geez. good grief. There we go. Wait, I oh wait, I think he's Matt. Muted. You have to unmute yourself. <laughs> there we go. You're back. Yeah, I was having a drink and I had to jump in. Kyle <laughs> blew in how shoddy my beard was. I had yeah. to blow in shoddy the hair on the top of his head. Yeah, I mean, I yeah. can't help it, Matt. All right, before we do our uh, parting shots, we're gonna bring Matt's gonna get in fifteen minutes. The question is, what are we drinking oh. from uh, Jimmy Piscini out in the audience right now? If you want to drop your comment in. Uh, what do you got there, Kyle? I got a double wood from Balvini. Well done, Johnny. What do you got? Uh, I was doing mezcal, but I, I did a local <laughs> drink. Um, it's uh, a gin from Austin um, called Waterloo Aged Gin. It tastes like a bourbon. It's called a boy named Sue's from my favorite little restaurant. Uh-huh. I'm struggling right now, so I did this in honor of them. Oh, it's absinthe uh, Sue's and and Waterloo gin. It's pretty uh-huh. boozy. So, oh, Kyle, I might be I might be weak tomorrow on our call. Okay, all right. And Matt, you're coming up with your own uh, uh, part of the show. But what do you drink? What do you got there? I, I, I've got a mojito right That's now. That's a mojito. I knew it was a mojito. <laughs> it's, it's a mojito right there. I'm going. I'm going beer uh, juice bomb IPA from the uh, from nice. New York as well. All right, guys, time for uh, your parting shot, Bridget. I'll just uh, I'll keep it right here just for time. Uh, parting shot, guys. Matt, we're gonna kick you out. We'll be, we'll be right back. You'll be in a bit. Uh, yeah. Parting shot. Your chance to uh, to leave a mic drop moment for the audience. What's the last thing you want? We'll go with Kyle first. Your parting shot here uh, today. I <laughs> Matt said the beard is gray. He was right. Um, <laughs> I want physical therapists to stop prescribing exercise that looks like you're a circus bear or a one man band. <laughs> and I want them to prescribe exercise that creates adaptation and muscle. That's where I would. That's my parting shot. Yeah, if you follow a couple, there's a couple good Instagram feeds of like oh, you yeah. know, gym uh, fails and interesting moves of the gym. Uh, Circus Bear is one in comparison I haven't seen before. Yeah. Great parting <laughs> shot, uh, Johnny. Parting shot today. What do you want to leave as we uh, as we exit and bring in our next guests? Um, well, Kyle and I talked about this a little bit. I'm I'm a big stoic philosophy guy, you know. Yeah. So you, you you take the situation that you're in, and you know you try and figure out, you know, what it is and, and how to make the best of it, basically. And I can go way deeper, but I, I think with everything, no matter what your profession is, is frame your story. So where you are right now, imagine how your great grandkids would say how you you reacted to these times. Um, and if it's good or bad, and also not just these times, but your life. So I, I like to think every day of like, how would my kids, you know, tell their kids, this is how my dad reacted during these times. Yeah. Yeah. Act accordingly. Uh, and as we uh, as we always have one of these things around, uh, think before you post or think before you snap <laughs> in terms of pictures. Just just, just stay off. I want to thank Owens Recovery Science uh, for supporting the show. Those guys are sponsors. You guys have been here for, for a while. And we will mention we've got a, we've got a koozie contest going on right now. Uh, it w- it'll be an updated version of this. We've got them in print, but we're only going to give them. To people who are in this live broadcast. So if you're hearing this recorded, I'm very sorry. Uh, the koozies are already gone. We've got a hundred of these things to give away. So it's at ptpintcast.com. Get in the running. We are definitely giving a hundred of these things away. And since obviously we're not in the same room, yes, 
we're going to mail these to you. So make sure you go to uh, ptpinecast.com. OwensRecoveryScience.com is where you can find out more information. I say about the certification, the research, the, uh, the tools to apply it in clinical practice. Pause properly. You want to make sure you're applying blood flow restriction rehabilitation properly in your clinical practice with your patients. So again, OwensRecoveryScience.com. Guys, thanks so much for uh, for sponsoring the show. Thanks so much for coming by. And, uh, thanks for everything. We'll yeah, thanks for can, all right? Hopefully CSM February, we're all like, yeah. Yeah, real. Man. Yes. 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 Centennial, right? We got 100 yes. years yeah. under the profession's belt. Let's yeah. make no, it's a big year better. next year. All right, guys, be safe until we talk again. Coming up, Sky Donovan and Megan Brown. Do not move. Are you having a difficult time training your patients with shoulder conditions? Are you looking to take your clinical skills to a new level? Or are you planning on taking the OCS? I'd like to tell you about the Shoulder Independent Study Course by the Academy of Orthopedic Physical Therapy. Written by some of our profession's leading shoulder experts, such as George Davies and Sue Falzon, it includes topics such as appropriate interventions following rotator cuff repairs and treatment of anterior shoulder instability. We hope you'll visit us at orthoptlearn.org purchase this course, and take the next step in your professional development. Ladies and gentlemen, entering the studio now. You guys have, you guys have been on for three, you know, four or five episodes. Megan Brown, Sky <laughs> Donovan, welcome to the show. Ladies. Hi. Hi, Jimmy. Uh, first question is like the hardest. Uh, what are we drinking? Well, I'm playing to my audience, so... It's the official PT Pinecast, PT Pinecast, right there. Megan, what do you got there? One part tequila, one oh, I part. I think you wine. might be muted. Oh, I think I'm, I am. Oh, you're not muted. You're, a little bit, you're just delayed a little bit. No, you're delayed. You're delayed. It's okay. We'll figure out what you're saying. It'll just be a few seconds late. Uh, I would like to, uh, I would like to start with a little bit of fanfare. Congratulations, uh, Sky Donovan, elected uh, APTA Board of Directors uh, just yesterday is when that happened. So congratulations. I got a whole 24 hours, but I already have an APTA email address. So um, <laughs> I, am, I am really blown away and um, I'm really grateful for this opportunity. And um, it's it's just uh, a great privilege to try to be able to serve an association and a profession that's done so much for me personally. And it's, it's my honor. Yeah. I got a few favor. I know you've only been had the position for less than 24 hours, but you know, I'm sure you, how come you haven't done more yet? Right. Sky, how come you haven't, what haven't you done this? Why haven't you done that? Right. Uh, so All I'm doing is drinking a beer right now. So that's, that's what I'm doing. My APTA right there, getting stuff done with a beer in hand. <laughs> I like to hear. Uh, we wanted to talk about uh, some, some things that were going on uh, just a few weeks ago, something that kind of really just gripped the nation in terms of uh, not Tiger King. I'm not alluding to Tiger King. I'm talking about uh, The Last Dance and uh, Michael Jordan. And it actually pains me to say some of the audience might be young enough where they're like, yeah, I kind of remember. I kind of know who that guy is. But uh, Megan, you uh, you said uh, you, you were you know, keeping track of that last dance documentary, multiple part series. And that was something you wanted to bring up in terms of team. And you do that as a physical therapist and as a business owner. Um, it's important who you have on your own starting five. T totally. Am I still delayed? Can you no, hear you're me? good now. Oh, good. Um, yeah. You know, the thing that moved me about that documentary is we were all 
we all watched his career and I even was playing basketball, although sitting the bench, but, but my team was really good. So I will say that. Um, and you know, we were, we were kind of kids and young adults when he was in his prime. And then to hear his whole backstory and his leadership style and his um, just his drive to win, it was really fascinating to see that. And it, it was, um, I was inspired. I was re-inspired by MJ. Yeah. It had been so long. And, you know, I feel like Michael Jordan now is literally an icon. Like he's a logo. He is jump man. He's on everything. And it was good to see that human behind, like, how did he get there? Right. Cause he doesn't do a ton of public appearances, right. He's not on social media all the time, but he's kind of always in the ether. He's jump man. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, and sky, I know you were watching it too. Did you watch it with your boys? What did they think? Oh yeah. They were, they were very into it. My, uh, 12 year old would watch it religiously. He knew exactly when it was coming out and he was riveted and he was like, I can't believe you lived during this time. <laughs> like it was in the 1800s. I was like, yeah. time of MJ. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. When people could fly. Um, I thought it was a, a really interesting uh, uh, look. It definitely made me say, oh, my gosh, I, you know, because I think as you look back, some of those things, I don't they, they sort of blend together. But you're like, no, this went on for that for that many. Yeah. His reign was that long in terms of being at the top of his game. Um, so so how do you how do you translate, you know, teamwork and that that attitude? Uh, and for the audience who doesn't know, Megan owns uh, Mind the Mad in Alexandria, multiple location. Um, physical therapy, Pilates, live classes. We've talked to, on an episode not long ago on how you pivoted and went online, as we're doing right now with Happy Hour. But focusing on that kind of starting five mentality, your Fab Five, how do you do that? How do you make sure the people around you are the right people to be on your team? Well, I think the thing that that really struck me about that particular documentary was, I think it might've been episode seven when uh, he gets asked, are you afraid that you're not seen as the nice guy with your leadership style? Because right. he was very much, uh, I don't know if people said intimidating. I can't, I can't remember. I want to watch the whole thing over again. But what he really did is he, he pushed people to be their best. He put, he knew, he believed in them if they didn't believe in themselves and yes, they had the skills and he believed in them and he didn't let go. He didn't let down on them. He constantly pushed them to play their best. And that to me just really, it, it struck me from a physical stare, phys, physical stereotype, physical therapy standpoint. It's the tequila. Acceptable here. To like, that's what we do. And what's our style as physical therapists? How do we, empower people or how do we push people to really feel like they can accomplish what they're capable of because yeah. most people that walk in our doors they have the power we're the ones who are guiding them on um on the strength and the increase in function yeah and you've got to you've got to make sure you're reading that person right whether it's a colleague in terms it's a business partner it's a patient interaction you got to make sure you're reading that patient right we mentioned that with Jerry at the top of the show, which is we should probably lead with our ears, right? My grandmother used to say, got two ears and one mouth, use them accordingly. I didn't listen, but you should, right? Listen, listen, listen. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think, well, Sky's been in my class, like my hair is soaking wet because I just taught a class and Sky's hair is nice and dry and blown out. And she was in my class just a mere hour ago. And that's, my, that's my style is I, I am kind of known as being mean in class, not in like a therapeutic class, but like in a... In a workout class, I'm mean. I push people because I believe in them. I believe 
understanding the biomechanics and understanding physiology as a physical therapist. So I'm going to push them beyond what they think their limits are. But for me as a clinician, I don't think that they're limited. That's the interesting thing. I like that. Uh, as we, that's uh, why we're friends because she pushes me. So, you know, to your point of the fab five, I consider myself more of a point guard. Like I look around and I see who's going to score and I'm like, give it to them. Right. Cause I don't need to be the person that's going to the hoop. Um, and I think that I have spent a lot of years in my life just surrounding myself with people who are all the same as me. And it wasn't until I had this realization as I matured, um, <laughs> You know, it really what makes you grow and we all want to grow. Right. Even though it's hard um, is to surround yourself with people who are also interested and invested in growing and they bring different strengths to the table. And to your point, Megan, I would not have had this hair had you not showed me the magic round curling brush um, when we stayed together at uh, CSM. So um, we all have different strengths and um, it's really important because it's really easy and, and it's, it's comfortable to be around people that are always patting you on the back and are like, great job, you're, you're doing great. But really, you know, and you've always been one of those people for me too, even as a student, you know, you want to push yourself outside your comfort zone and, and surround yourself with people who are going to make you be your best and they're going to, they're going to challenge you. So, yeah. Uh, that was one thing that was uh, instilled upon me is, is when I was in PT school, which was uh, finding people that allow you to be your authentic self. What does that what does that mean to you, Sky? You know, I I'm all about manners and I'm all about how you conduct yourself and professionalism. But we all have these innate qualities that make us who we are. And if you're always trying to be somebody else, you can never find your true light and you can never be the best you could be. So you need to have people who are willing to be around you and you make mistakes and either they're going to call you out on your mistakes and they're going to help you get past those, or they're going to call you out and they're going to forgive you. And I think finding those relationships are really important because we all have weaknesses <laughs> And um, really that's when the good stuff happens, right? When you find people that you can share your weaknesses yeah. with and you can be authentic in front of them. Yeah, no growing without that, right? Uh, both of you had recently done something similar. Sky with uh, Marymount University in an academic program, Megan with, uh, with a business and, and going digital. Uh, what is literally going from something you had done one way in person to going digital like a virtual happy hour. I'd much rather be clinking glasses with you guys right now, but we can't, but we adapt so we can do that. Um, what, did, uh, what did flipping on a dime teach you? We'll go with Megan first. What did, what did flipping on a dime teach you? It's funny, I had this uh, hot Pilates training scheduled for mid-May and I'd already moved it. And, and you know, we talked, Jimmy, about how difficult it was to pivot a 12-year business in wow. 48 hours, 12 years of an entire business in 48 hours. So I was working really hard and I just, in my head, I gave up. I said, you know, I, this is too much. I'm not going to try to figure out how to create this training since, you know, this is a great excuse to just cancel it. And then something Sky knows, I say this in my class a lot, an excuse is a problem that you have decided not to solve. Ooh. An excuse is a problem you have decided not to solve. And I and I say, I say that to my people all the time and I thought to myself, well that's an excuse Megan. 
and reached out to all of my people and said, hey, I'm going to go for this. I'm going to do my hot Pilates training virtually. And guess what? It's going to be even better. I'm going to give you extra time. I'm going to give you extra check-in and it's going to be hybrid. We're going to do it online. We're going to record all of the lectures so you can go back to them. And then when all of this craziness is hopefully over, we're going to meet together in person and we're going to assimilate it all. And I not only filled up immediately, but I had a three person wait list. And then I had to hire extra people to accommodate the people that I let in after that. So if we, if we let something like this, pull us down and say, this is a problem that I don't feel like solving, then, uh, then yeah, we're not going to move forward. And what if we said that with everything we come with, with every hurdle? Wow. So, I like that excuse is a problem you decided not to solve. Yeah. Uh, unfortunately, Jimmy Pacini's kids are going to start hearing that all the time. That's perfect. Uh, guy, we'll treat this as your, your parting shot. These 15 minute sessions went fast, didn't they? We got to yeah. do this for more long form. I need to talk with everybody a little more, but. Um, oh, it's good. Keep it quick. Sound bites. All right. Sound and bites. Megan just dropped a huge knowledge bomb. So this is the perfect time you, to end. All that, but I know the bar is high and you'll do it. Uh, so yeah. what did Going Digital teach you uh, in an academic program at our at my alma mater, Marymount University, uh, going all digital with three years of PT students? This will be your party shop. Uh, it taught me to just, um, apologize frequently and to show your human side and, you know, be transparent. Right. I think that was the, the biggest lesson that I learned was, um, over communicating and relentlessly communicating with the students because, and the faculty, because nobody knew what was happening from day to day. And here, you know, it was a great thing for me to have because like Megan, right? She's caring for all of these people. I'm caring for all of these students. And that kept me going because I didn't have the opportunity to shut down. And um, I'm like we said, we all learned in this process. It was hard for the students, but they, they gave it their best shot and they hung in there with us. And it's still not perfect because we're still doing it. Um, but um, we're trying our best. And I just, that's all, I just said that to them. You know, I said, it's gonna, I'm gonna make mistakes, but um, I'd rather tell you that up front and we can learn on the journey together. Yeah, but think about that as a lesson from students, right? They're, I mean, and myself as a second career student, so I came a little bit older. You still look up to your professors as like, they know everything. And to see their professors say, listen, I don't know the answer, but we're gonna figure it out. I'm probably gonna screw up, but I'll also stand up for it and apologize. Like those are lessons. Right. You can take those anywhere. Mm -hmm. I love those. So uh, thank you guys for doing that. Thank you guys for uh, for taking a, a flyer on doing this thing live, because usually we can edit things out if we screw up. You guys, you guys never screw up. Well, I'm the one who usually flubs a few lines. This is um, live with you. Didn't we go live at CSM New Orleans? Oh, uh, we yeah, we did. I don't, yeah. Know, yeah. I don't remember. It was in New Orleans. Let's put it that way. Yeah. We can do it. Let's do it again every week. Let's do it again every week. <laughs> Happy hour. Uh, thank you guys so much for top, stopping by. We've got uh, Tara Jo Manals coming up next. We'll hear more from uh, from you guys uh, in a later episode. We'll definitely have you guys back on for a happy hour. Uh, ladies, thank you so much. We appreciate you stopping by. Thanks, Jimmy. Thank you. And we're back uh, on the show. We do want to let people know we've got a koozie contest going on. Uh, 
These are koozies, in case you don't know. They call them different things in different parts of the country, uh, but I call it a koozie. We'll give it 100 of these things away, thanks to uh, several sponsors. Aria's Medical Staffing, I'm putting in the wrong direction, that corner. Uh, the Academy of Orthopedic Physical Therapy and Owens Recovery Science. Radio Segway, Academy of Orthopedic Physical Therapy. On the show right now, Tara Jill-Manal. Tara, welcome to the program. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. Uh, let's see if we can just turn your do you, uh, your volume down just a little bit, just so I don't hear myself because no one wants to hear me. They want to hear you. Um, that sounds, How's that? That sounds good. Uh, Terry, you're the first person I'm looking at the lineup that we've. This is the first time we've met uh, in person, but I was there at your 2017 Maley lecture, so I was kind of like know. there watching you up here. Uh, and now we get to uh, to talk, and I get to ask you questions. First of all, congratulations on doing something like a Maley lecture. That's a big deal. Thank you very much. It was very exciting. Stressful, but it was super exciting. Well, you mentioned stressful, and actually in your Maley lecture, you talked about the process going through it because it's I mean, it, it's close to a year, right, to, to prepare that. When you start with, with that, with, with, with trying to sum up an idea or a concept or an emotion or that you're trying to transmit, um, how do you begin? Yeah, I um, it took a long time. When I say a long time, it took a long time. So I literally had pads of paper next to the bed. I'd wake up in the middle of the night and scribble something down until I had piles. And I'm not joking. I actually still have the folder. It's piles of paper. And it was like, I just needed to play it out in my head a thousand times. And then when I sat down and looked at them, I was like, what are they saying? And then I was able to really narrow it down. And that, that helped a lot. But I had to let all of that happen. I don't think I could have rushed it, you know, any faster. Yeah. Well, um, I saw it live and then uh, saw you were going to get to be on the show. And I said, well, I want to rewatch this because I want to make sure I can ask questions from the moment. Um, really, the first story, and I'm glad that you use a lot of stories in a talk, which makes it memorable. A guy with a communications background loves and respects that. You talked about going deep uh, with a, an article from the uh, from the Washington Post that was like really the first story you told. Um, variability in practice is what that was about, and less science and more art. And we want it to be, you know, we don't want to take art out of it, right? But we this is a science. We're we're, professional. we're, we're healthcare professionals. Talk about that and what, why you why you brought that particular story um, to your lecture. Maybe just give the audience who wasn't there, or didn't get you, kind of know a little bit about it. Yeah. So it was one bum knee meets five physical therapists and. And it was a little undercover, almost secret shopper. They sent a reporter to five physical therapy facilities and she told the same story at all of them. And she got five completely different diagnoses. But more importantly, because the words don't always matter, right? Like what you call it, but five completely different treatment plans. And, and so it basically said, you know, is this even a real science, this physical therapy thing? This was 1994 and I graduated in 93. So this was, I mean, right when I was entering the profession. And, you know, one of the things that we, we struggle with is this, this concept of standardization and um, customization. And the idea is that if you customize something all the way, then um, it is usually not very reproducible. And if you standardize something so much, it doesn't adapt to fit the right person. So if they're not, they're a continuum, they're not a mutually exclusive decision, right? So you need the most amount of standardization with the customization to the individual and that's what gets you reliable and reproducible results. And so that was really my pitch, if you will, in the in the talk was balancing these two and how do we get to that that meaningful balance point, which is 
is, is really perfect customized care for our individual patients, but in a standardized reproducible way so that we can get the best outcomes as soon as possible for quite honestly, the cheapest way we can. Yeah. Well, you've got students commenting, uh, Cam Asumi, uh, a fresh grad, but he was a student when he saw your talk. Um, how do we do since then? Right. Because I'm sure when you stand on that stage and it's a, a literal stage, but it's also a metaphorical stage. I mean, you're speaking to the profession on that. Um, how, do, how do you feel about what we did after we heard your words? Yeah, I have to say we've come a really long way. Um, I really have seen so many places where there's been improvement. Um, there's a, there's um, a less resistance to the concept, I think, because I think it was misrepresented um, sometimes. It sounded like you're doing it wrong and you have to do it only one way and it's cookie cutter. There's all those stories, cookie cutter recipe, you know, I, I'm yeah. smart, but I don't need that. I, I feel like we've gotten past a lot of that. Um, I'll be honest, it, shockingly, I think COVID is, is turning over that leaf for people who might not have made the transition before because when you think about what's going on now, first of all, people had to pivot and treat differently than they ever did before. Yes. And there's a lot of things that have forced you to do that in your career. You can kind of do it your way for a really long time. And people couldn't do it their way. And so so that has changed people's attitudes. I think people see, wow, really, actually something good came out of it in that way. Right. And also, I always think the easiest way to think about standardization and, and um, customization is when you're scared. Um, meaning that you don't feel that you know how to do something. Like, I don't know how to treat that patient, right? That's when you're like, tell me, just tell me. And now all of a sudden you're totally open to, you know, standardization. Just tell me what to do. Right. I think that, that as we think about not only switching for people that did telehealth or as your last speaker talked about, you know, they switched the format in which they delivered the care that they did or their, or their business. Um, someone who knows how to do it, just tell me. Just give me the, the quick and dirty, tell me how to do this because I'm doing it tomorrow. And so people are much more open, I think, to that concept now and see why it's valuable. And if you have to reinvent the wheel and everybody reinvents the wheel, it's wasteful, right? So instead, you give me the quick and dirty shortcut, then I customize it. Whatever you said, I'm going to do it better. No one said I wasn't, but but get me the shortcut, get me to the to the starting line, and then I'll do my thing. And so I think that that's another place where you really see people being more open as they've had to make so many switches in COVID. Yeah, I love the fact that you, you use quick and dirty. I use that all the time. It's one of my favorite sayings. Like, listen, I got to walk in. I'm going to do something right now. I need the quick and dirty. Just make sure I don't look horribly bad. I will I can figure out most of it, but just make sure I have the stable datum, right? The thing I need to know. Um, exactly. About the, the stable datum, right? The thing that we need to know, the thing that we want to make sure that if we're going to customize, right, we want to make sure we're, we're coming from a place of really good information, the Academy of Orthopedic Physical Therapy, a great resource. Uh, we, we just gave away, we had a contest giving away current concepts of orthopedic physical therapy, which is a great prep course for the OCS examination. But that's one of many, many educational offerings. If you're thinking about bettering yourself as an orthopedic physical therapist, where better than the Academy of Orthopedic Physical Therapy? Talk a little bit about, there's too many for us to get into. Yeah, of course. A couple of those, or at least maybe talk about why those, why those are so why those are so solid. Yeah. So one of the things about the Academy, it's really provided uh, for different kinds of education for, for its entire lifetime. That's actually one of its tenants, right? So, so they do programming at CSM as many people have experienced or had happen. So, so you're getting that, that kind of quality. And then they, then the idea is, well, how do we package this in a way it's more usable for people? So this takes us to these monographs, this kind of monograph kind of concept. And so the ISCs or independent study courses 
are almost like book chapters. They have cases in them. They're all different kinds of things um, that that our members and and non-members um, can access. We have uh, even people who buy them internationally, and they are vetted and they're they're put through a full editorial process. Um, even the decision making of which things are chosen goes through a full editorial process. So so you can really be they're reliable. You can rely that the information is accurate and timely. Um, and and so they they become staples for people. And interestingly, you know, the old folk like them in in print. And now we're moving to a learning management system, and and we're finding people are gonna accept the digital version too. But we still have print. Don't worry. But um, you know, people are starting to get more flexible in how they take these learning opportunities. Yeah, a lot of those different monographs, those are called you know, coming from a coming from a more of a print model, but those monographs are available digitally. Uh, like it gets very, very broad in terms of like, you know, current concepts of orthopedic physical therapy, broad. And then you can go into specific body regions, knee, shoulder, hip. Um, very, very specific. And these are made, we, we, we've done some episodes with the Academy of Orthopedic Physical Therapy before. You can take a listen to those on iTunes. Um, really, really highlighting these are made by the industry the people writing the papers wind up referencing themselves in these courses because the leaders are creating them that's got to feel pretty good to put out great it's got to feel pretty good to put out great information that just goes to seek and do good yeah and you know as you mentioned they they really do run the gamut right so the concussions are really popular one right now as you can imagine but you know they'll do things on imaging so they're actually bringing forward niche practice from the special interest group of the academy so there's all these different levels of um, content. And so some of it is body region and some of it, one is tissue tolerances. So we're really looking at, hey, am I actually pushing my, the, the uh, areas that I'm treating to the level that I should be? So, so it's like, it's all over. And now they're gonna be moving into some micro learning. So you're gonna start to see there's a, there's a research one that's really just a webinar. There's no actual print. And so it's all about the interface. Um, there's a running one, um, and in that there's cases and actually running examples where there and there's even quizzes embedded into that. So you're starting to see this shift into into a new a new world and a new learning management system that's going to look at micro learning and some of those other things we know to be really successful. Some of these uh, some of these courses, some of these monographs, the reading list alone is worth the price of admission because if you can figure out you know what what's from the reading list what's included in the course you've got yourself you've got yourself several several years of uh, of worth of reading i almost sprained a wrist just scrolling down through one to prepare for an interview uh so we want to make sure people know that that is out there at uh, orthopt.org i believe we're also going to kick off very soon another uh, another contest we just gave away access to uh, the uh, current concepts of orthopedic physical therapy. We're going to be giving away uh, more opportunities to so make sure you follow us on all the social media channels at PT Pinecast to find out how you can win that. And we just say, listen, if you want to be a better orthopedic physical therapist, where else should you go than the Academy of Orthopedic Physical Therapy, orthopt.org. That's all I want to say right there. Um, look at that. We got that on the, uh, the, web, the, 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 the live stream too. Uh, Koozie contest going on right now at ptpinecast.com. Uh, uh, let's, uh, let's ask this. Um, how do you think, uh, how do you think things are going to change in the next three years? It's been three years since your Maley lecture. What do you see in terms of changing in the profession or specifically in the world of orthopedic physical therapy? Uh, what's coming on the horizon there? I'll tell you, I think one thing that, again, I think we're going to see this as a result of COVID as well. First of all, people got a chance to see, um, how much physical therapy is the right amount. I call it right sizing. Um, and so I think we're going to see some more right sizing. Hey, they did okay when they were away for this long, but that this was the limit. 
we're going to see people who didn't seek care and what were some of those barriers that they had. And I think that will improve our access to people who haven't been seeking care. And that's, we're going to see the consequences of that as well. Um, and, and the other thing that I think is there's been an opportunity for shifting, right? So I, I know a lot of physical therapists that moved into urgent care um, settings and that they were moved there by their facilities to help manage the load because they couldn't handle it. And now they know what the value of a musculoskeletal expert in urgent care or primary yeah. care is. And they're not going to be coming back out. Uh -huh. It's going to be a, a new niche and a new place where we have a lane, which we, sh we should be getting into. Um, and I think that, that we just got thrown into it in a way where we were put our toe in the water before. And then clearly the, the strides in telehealth. If, if not the therapist and our advocacy at the APTA level, then the patients, they're going to fight to say, don't take this back away from me. When this is where, how I want to do it, this is the way I want to access my care, you, you, you don't have the right. And so, so we're going to have telehealth, I think, to stay pretty quickly. I think it's going to, it's leaps and bounds from where we would have been. All of this is really, you know, that's musculoskeletal. It's, it's other areas too, but we are right there at the forefront of that. Yeah, uh, I can almost I can almost actually hear the PT and the ED people uh, screaming in in agreement. We're going to have Mike LeBeck uh, on the show in a, in a couple of days. Uh, I'm sure he'll touch on that as well as playing his guitar. He's got a new song out. We're going to play it. It's PT related. <laughs> so don't worry about it. Stick around for that. Uh, Tara, the last thing we do uh, with each guest is your parting shot. That's your last chance for a, a mic drop moment. Uh, with the audience of orthopedic physical therapists, you know, let's go to the profession. Let's keep it nice and wide. Oh, we, by the way, what are you drinking? Oh, I'm drinking McUltra. All right, we gotta watch the carbs. You know what I mean? I'm doing yeah. cat number nine for my third drink of the night. All right, <laughs> change it up a little bit. Um, so your parting shot, last chance for kind of a mic drop moment. What would you want to leave with the audience to go away with? Um, one of the, what I'd like to say is be thinking about how you're creating your communities recognizing what we have learned and what's so important about community while we've been separated from one another. We're finding cool ways to get together that we wouldn't have done before. And so, so there's less excuses now as to why. And think about how you find your community. And, and I'd like you to think about the Academy of Orthopedic Physical Therapy for those of you in that profession. Um, you can find people who are in your niche area, but more importantly, you can find people who aren't. So when you need advice and you need that quick and dirty, give me the lowdown, I need to get in here and treat this, tell me what to do so I get this right in the next five minutes, you know who to reach out to to give you that information. So really take an opportunity now to reestablish community and, and be thinking about how you do that um, to go move yourself forward professionally. Uh, Tara Joe, it's going to be a hashtag, right? Tara Joe says hashtag quick and dirty, right? You need quick that. Quick and dirty. I stole it. My bad. I like it. No, I love that thing. Uh, look for those communities. And uh, as we kick this virtual happy hour off on the eve of what we wanted to be together, we can't, but we will soon be. That's a great community, right? The American Physical Therapy Association. Here's the best part. We still are. Right? We're still a community. Uh, you know, physically distant, socially connected. So uh, that's great. Terry, uh, appreciate meeting meeting you virtually. Uh, yeah, you do. Clink glasses in person. Hopefully, we can do it at the centennial celebration coming up in February at CSM. That'd be great. Thanks. Right, back. Uh, Matt Tuttle is going to be back with us from the Denver Nuggets. Uh, hang tight. Don't don't go anywhere. This is PT Pinecast Virtual Next Happy Hour. So many of our patients come to physical therapy looking for answers for their low back pain. They can present so differently. So treating this patient population can feel overwhelming. I'd like to tell you about the Lumbopelvic Independent Study Course by the Academy of Orthopedic Physical Therapy. 
One unique feature of this course is that it comes with over 39 patient resource pamphlets ready to be used for patient education. Go to orthopt.org, purchase this course, and gain more confidence treating patients with lumbopelvic disorders. Uh, I want to thank uh, Tara Joe for dropping by. Good to meet uh, somebody. I was looking at the, the roster, and I realized Tara Joe was the only person I didn't know in person. I uh, hadn't met in person before the other broadcast. We bring this guy on. Uh, we got a chance to talk, and then we got a chance to talk in person at uh, CSN. Last CSN we had uh, in the Mile High City, Matt Tuttle, physical therapist. Welcome to the show, my friend. Welcome back to the show. You snuck in early. Yeah, Jimmy, I appreciate you having me. It's always a good time to chat with you. We've stayed we've awesome. stayed in pretty good touch since then. Yeah. Uh, so let's give people a back. Well, first question is always the hardest. What are we drinking? I got Magic Hat number nine. And what do you I'm, got again? I'm, what is that? I'm still I'm still on the mojito train. I, uh, yeah, like I'm gonna lie. You got a salad I, uh, on the top. Of that. Not a lettuce on the top of that drink. I like it though. It's uh, it tastes good. Um, so uh, Matt, your background for people who don't know, you get to, of course, you're supporting the uh, the team right there across the chest. Uh, the Denver Nuggets. You get to work with those guys, lead sports scientists, physical therapists at Den Denver Nuggets. Um, but right now, we we got a hole in our heart right now. We just want to mention that we are waiting for you guys to come back because uh, we need we, sports. Kind of binds us. Do not want to do it until it is completely safe. Um, but, uh, that's gotta be hard for you guys. How, how are you, what are you doing in the meantime? What are the athletes doing? Yeah, it, it's, it's not just challenging for the public. It's challenging for all of us. I think yeah. working in professional sports, you eat, sleep and breathe your job, which can't be lost on students who are interested in this field. So currently we're allowed to be in the building for, uh, four players at a time, uh, getting ready for what we hope is a potential return to the season. Uh, there's a lot of rumors floating around out there. I, I know as much as anybody else uh, who can read ESPN on the rumors, but right, right. yeah, so we're, we've done a nice job of keeping guys ready. Uh, our strength coaches did a great job of ordering Pelotons for guys so we could keep some cardiovascular base, which we know is protective against injury and sending out programs and just hoping that we get enough lead up time to build our guys up and be ready for the season when and if it comes back. Talking about timing, really, and uh, figuring out how much is too much, how much is not enough, when, whatever factors. Uh, you had an article in BJSM, how to fix problems of exercise prescription in the NBA, challenges and tips to move forward. Really, it broke down, for me, it broke down to three areas, right? I didn't realize that the preseason is super short in the NBA. How recent is that? I, mean, I don't follow the NBA as closely as some others, but like, how, how short's the preseason? Yeah, so so it's been a a big change over the last few years. Uh, previously, there was more preseason games and there was a bigger duration for guys to get ramped up, but that has shrunk now to three or four preseason games and wow. an official duration of just about three weeks. So it's nothing. That, no, it's nothing. And what we understand about adaptation from mus like musculoskeletal, neuromusculoskeletal care is that that, that duration takes a lot longer. So Generally, guys are really responsible about getting in town earlier and we can have unofficial workouts and guys can work out with our strength coaches with us and build up. But that short duration, we need to figure out how to cram in an appropriate amount of work while not being too much or too little to hopefully be protective against injury in season. Uh, important there. So that'd be the first thing, pre-season. Uh, second, going with in-season strength training. 
And that's something I guess I, I didn't think about. You know, you don't really think about it when you watch these guys, these professional athletes, uh, the top of their game, right? Um, how much do you want them doing in their off days? Because you see them on the court, but to get them from court to court to court is travel, is lack of sleep, is media obligations, is sponsor obligations. You've got to juggle all that. Plus, if they're in airports or if they're on buses, what are they eating? So in-season strength training, uh, there, there was a really great um, – uh, a highlight in there, which is, and correct me if I'm wrong, because you're one of the authors on this thing in BJSM, was that physically they recovered after 24 hours, but self-reported fatigue, they felt like they needed 48 hours. So yeah, physically in objective measures, they were back to uh, baseline or back to themselves after 24 hours, but they still felt it for, for another day. Yeah, and I, I honestly, if you if you really dive into the research from other sports, which have a bigger research base in the NBA, you can look at uh, full recovery up to 72 hours, which in the NBA, when you're playing three to four games a week, is just a timeline right. that just doesn't happen. Uh, so it, it it's an interesting balance. The in-season training is a serious demand. I I give Johnny and Kyle a hard time, but we utilize BFR in-season for getting physical adaptation and metabolical <laughs> metabolic adaptation without blowing these guys out of the water when they may be playing three games in four nights. I think those changes are important to understand. And it's why the physiology courses that we get in PT school and then building up from there into what we get in clinical practice is so important. Yeah. You need to keep these athletes strong strong obviously they need to be you know, at the top of their game um but when there's not a lot of time between games uh you've got to juggle how much is too much and how much is is needed you talked a little bit about micro dosing exercise get into what that means yeah so this is uh this probably goes against some of what the strength coaches think and probably what some of the strength coach research is but i feel like we have a big enough body of evidence right now to say that any mild increase in load can be protective against the typical stressors. So if my body is used to playing three to four NBA games a week, and I do nothing besides that, my body is going to adapt to that level. And we are going to only be at that level, and we're going to accept the risk of being at that level. But if we can push a little bit, like if we can get a BFR session in after a game, or if we do have two game, or two days between games, we can get a little bit of loading in in between. While it may not be that physiological adaptation that we've defined in the CSCS exam for years, maybe we are protective against the stressors of the season. So building a callus to the stressors in the off season and then maintaining that callus in season is our big focus throughout the NBA year. When you guys are on the road, where are you doing your workouts? Is there like a, is there like a, a, a visiting team gym or how's that work? It, it's super interesting and it depends on the city. Planet so. Fitness, you guys out there, Planet Fitness, <laughs> some reps in? Oh, please tell me no. No, so we're not there. But a lot of times uh, our strength coaches in the NBA are, are not respected to the level that they deserve to be. Um, so often it may be working out in a hotel gym. And while we have the opportunity to stay in some super nice hotels, oftentimes it doesn't equate to super nice hotel gym. So. Right. We're bringing a lot of equipment on the road. Teams are generally familiar enough with each other. They can use each other's weight rooms pregame to get a lift in or to get some conditioning in. But the setup certainly isn't perfect. And then from a, like if you're going to live in that strength and conditioning standpoint versus the medical standpoint, it's the same thing. Like we're setting up in hotel rooms and setting up tables 
in hotel rooms and in visiting locker rooms, which may be you are significantly smaller than your home setup. So it's always being able to adapt on the fly to these, these demands. Dude, I walk into a hotel gym and I see like two NBA dudes in there. Like I'm leaving. I'm not, I'm not competing with that. I'm like, you know what? You guys got it. I'll be, I'm going to be down at the spa. Just, uh, just hang it out. Um, uh, so, so conclusions from, from this, you, you really focused on, the dose of exercise, the timing of when it happens, right? Mm-hmm. We mentioned the objective, their recovery objective uh, objectively is 24 hours, but subjectively is up to 48 hours. Um, and then sleep, we've, we've done several episodes on that. And we've, we've kind of delved into why things maybe are, are better, why maybe home field advantage or home court advantage uh, might be going away with improvements in sleep, which is good, which means our athletes are recovering. Uh, so what do you guys take away with this? Uh, you and your co-authors as well. Do you want to mention those guys? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, Steve and Paul were awesome on the piece. Steve's another PT with us. And then Paul Marshall is a uh, PhD out of Australia. So those guys deserve all the shout outs in the world for being helpful on this. I think from the sleep standpoint is just to continue to emphasize with athletes that these kind of 10 or 20% of fringe modalities or fringe things that we think we can do are not your home runs. So your big home runs are sleep, nutrition, recovery, your load in the off days, those are your big ones. And if you're not hitting those as well as you can, this, this fringe stuff probably isn't as important. Um, so those, those are really the take homes I think for individuals is to understand what is load management from not the ESPN side, but from the physical standpoint, from the physiological standpoint, and then what are recovery modalities in their purest form, which are sleep and nutrition. So let's take that stuff. Let's be really, really great at it. And then after that, we can get into some of the other stuff like hydrotherapy, performance, some of the other performance gains, and then build from there. I, I see the Brandon Gillum text. I uh, he, He's coming in on there. For anybody wondering, he is the PT. He's the director of rehab for the Miami Heat. So a little bit of support throughout the league is always good. And knowing that we're going in a better direction is important. Uh, good question coming in right now. I want to bring on the sc- on the screen. I believe I asked you this as well, and I uh, wanted you to tackle this one. In regard to sleep from Ashley Jones, does a team typically travel to the next location of the night of the game? Are those guys slapping five and then going right through TSA, or how's that work? Yeah, I it, it's amazing. I think uh, so. I was I was a music minor bef- while I was a biology major, so you understand some of the the musical side of how t- people travel versus the sports side. It is a quick pack up. It is like you see concerts packing up. We are on the floor getting our gear. We're in the locker room packing up. And generally, we're out that night. That said, we are changing. We are pushing for more overnight stays. I can say that we're up about 40% since my time with the Nuggets on staying over after games, which I think is really important. Uh, it It's a huge win. It, it would be unjust to sit here and say that you know, these guys don't necessarily go out at night or coaches don't go out at night or staff go out at night after a game, but the majority of people are in the hotel getting rest and still getting in late at night and getting a full night of sleep in a hotel is better than getting in at two, three, sometimes four o'clock in the morning and then getting a bad night of sleep and being back at the arena at 11 o'clock the next morning for treatments or workouts or practice. So it is changing, but I can say that a lot of teams are typically traveling at night. 
Why do you think that is? Why, why moving in a positive direction in terms of recovery is that is that the NBA teams realizing, you know, hey, owners and saying, hey, if we give them a little bit of a, a little bit extra rest, these guys are going to go down less, and when they go down less, they perform more. Totally, it's a it's a performance and it's a financial decision. Uh, so, it sounds it sounds bad to say, but oh, it's a human. Well, it's a human yeah. decision, and then it's a finance finances follow. For sure, and, and Jimmy, you know me well enough that I am going to be honest about this stuff. That sure, that's what we have. We are a we are a performance decision and how guys are going to be able to perform at their same standpoint. But we also know that injury risk increases with a decrease in sleep. And if you were an owner making a decision about do we stay at night, do we not, or we're presenting that we think we should, that financial incentive is very different than a player making $30, $40 million a year being down for six, eight months with a long-term injury. So it's always pushing that in understanding who you're speaking to and what yeah. their bias is to make that decision. I love because our, our bias is always the health of the athlete is sure. always to have availability. I don't, I don't care about the finances, but I need to know that people do. And that is their bias. Yeah. Even my brother dog, even my brother's dog agrees. Jasper is locked <laughs> out of the room right now and he is fired up about <laughs> hearing about more sleep. That, that duck golden retriever loves to sleep. So uh, love to hear that. Uh, we got Steve Anderson coming on next. So I want to give you an opportunity to do your parting shot. Let's do that right now. This is the parting shot. I've right, done this before. Audience uh, watching right now live on Facebook and YouTube, listening on iTunes, Spotify, and Google podcasts. Uh, what's your parting shot tonight, Matt, here on the uh, virtual happy hour? Yeah, I, I feel like I would be, uh, I'm, I'm not generally a very political person uh, in the public sphere with Twitter and Instagram. I try and keep it professional, but I feel like I would be doing a disservice if I didn't say right now that, especially working in the population that I work with, that we need to be better as a population about acceptance and uh, equality and working together and loving each other as humans. I, I think if I didn't say that right now, I would be doing the wrong thing. Uh, for how I have been able to get this platform and be established as an individual. So love everybody around you, support everybody around you, and understand that these problems are still a real issue. And even if you don't see them day to day as an individual, that they still happen. So go bigger, do more. I'm Jimmy, you and I have been talking a lot about uh, yeah. triathlon and Ironman recently, and I'll be doing an Ironman whenever we're able to return to races. And I think my, my big push is going to be to benefit uh, African-American, Black American healthcare in the city of Denver uh, and try and raise money for that. So that's my parting shot. I love that. Do, you're, you're doing something. We're, we're talking about it right now, which is good. It's good. Yes. We need to do something about it, right? You know, just, just clapping or having a hashtag is a start. Yeah. It's a way to communicate the idea. The idea needs action. So I appreciate yeah. you saying that. Uh, thanks so much. Let's do this again. This is our test run, our virtual happy hour. Absolutely. We need to do this again sometime very, very soon. Uh, Matt Tuttle, uh, appreciate your time. Steve Anderson coming on next here at your uh, PT Pinecast next virtual happy hour. Cheers, everybody. <laughs>
Well, thanks for having me. I appreciate being here. Uh, Steve Anderson, uh, longtime physical therapist, but really, I think uh, the thing that you're focusing on right now is uh, uh, the coaching of humans, the focus of leadership and how to take some people's experience. And I, I, I mean, m leadership to me feels like a multiplier, how you take someone and, and be able to lead others and, and bring others up. Absolutely. I mean, it's the first lesson in leadership is, is I feel as a leader, our first job is to help others learn and grow. And the more leaders you can create, uh, the better organizations you can have. And it's just, uh, it's something that's dear to my heart. Uh, something that I spent a lot of time on. And if I can share with that in any way with others, uh, it, that, that brings me joy. Uh, I lo love hearing how you put that. You've been doing this for, for a long time. Uh, we will let people know that, uh, that Steve, uh, works with uh, it's it's Orange Dot. That's where people can find right at Steve uh, Orange Dot. Talk Orange. a little bit about that. What, 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 who do you get to help, and who do you get to work with there? So Orange Dot Coaching uh, is just uh, uh, you know a part time job for me in a sense, but I do executive coaching, and and what I do is I work with uh, uh, two groups mainly: the CEOs or leaders of companies, and then also with their executive teams to help them communicate together. And, uh, you know, I just feel one with with any CEO or business owner at any level can always learn and grow and improve. And then the key is, is to have build that team around you. As we all know, you can't do it alone. So you need a good team. And then how that team communicates is essential. And I think that's just something that the, the better you're at it, you can do. And, 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 and the more knowledge your team can can have in that area, uh, you're just going to do better as an organization. Yeah, well said. Uh, there's something I didn't mention, and it was on purpose in your intro. Uh, working as a physical therapist, you've uh, you've worked with uh, therap uh, therapists and clinic for for a long time, uh, but you also started something a number of years ago, which people might have heard of, which is kind of cool, right? This is almost like I, I called it Fight Club, I think, on our first episode, which is the Graham sessions. Yeah. Which the first rule is like you're kind of not supposed to talk about it. Uh, so, of course, people break that first rule and also the second rule. Uh, tell people briefly for watching right now who might not know what Graham Sessions is, what you would what you want it to be and what you think it is. Yeah, well, it's not that we don't want to talk about it. It's just that what we uh, tried to create was it was a, a, a conference or a get together uh, brought out by an uh, by frustration at most of our association meetings, which are very, you know, Robert's rules or uh, very tight agendas and, and very formal and time and all this kind of stuff. It just made it so hard to really talk about the issues. So we found ourselves late at night in bars having this really great deep conversations, but that isn't what everyone should hear and everyone should be a part of. So right. we put together um, the Graham sessions and basically what it is is to get people together and then we create an environment where you can be vulnerable and you can say what you want to say as an individual, not as an APTA board of director, not as the president of this or the owner of that, just an individual. And then we all protect each other where we go back to our, our areas of influence and can say, this is what was talked about, but I'm not going to say this is what Jimmy said in the meeting because I'm going to protect you. So we talk about the ideas we learn from that. And then there's no outcome from the meeting. It's only to learn and, and understand and hear different perspectives. And then we go back to our areas of influence and take that information and do what we can to hopefully change the world.
It's definitely an interesting meeting uh, being at you know national conferences. And I, I tell people all the time, not paid by the APTA, uh, but you should taste out a local meeting, a chapter meeting. You should check out a state meeting. You should check out next national student conclave, CSM. But there are a lot of different meetings and, and, and grant, I will use the word different for gram sessions. Uh, but there are there's a part of gram sessions. And I was lucky enough to go twice. Would love to make sure we keep this thing going so I can go again. There's a part of gram sessions, which is called the I believe speeches. Talk a little bit about what those are. And then I want to get into one that you did. OK, so part of the program is they're called what I believe speeches. And they started out, we started calling them like mini TED Talks, but uh, we, we were uh, infringing on someone's brand there, so we had to change it. Uh, but basically, it's giving uh, individuals, uh, we, we ask them ahead of time so they have time to prepare, and it's 15 minutes or less to basically say, this is what I believe. And there's no uh, expectations other than be provocative, make people a little uncomfortable, and, and, and let us hear something that we can learn from. And so that's all the requirements. And from there, we have six to seven people uh, each year that we do this. And, and uh, in my opinion, they've, they've really become kind of the highlight of the, of the conference. And, and there's just been some really, really good ones. Yeah. And uh, so just so we know, Graham Sessions is with you, Patrick Graham and Drew Bose. And you guys came together and kind of formulated uh, Graham Sessions. Right. But was was the the most recent Graham session your I believe in the gray? Was that your first time doing a what I believe speech? Yeah. So, yeah. So what happened was when we first started the Graham sessions, I did a lot of the planning myself, which wasn't perfect. So now we have a, a planning committee. And so uh, this year's planning committee um, said, hey, you know, you've been facilitating this meeting for 13 years and you've never done a what I believe speech. So maybe this is this is the time. And I said, well, you know, maybe I was thinking about I could that could be my swan song. Maybe when I go out of the facilitator role or whatever, and Mike Horsfield said, "Yeah, but you might die before that." Oh so, man, Mike. Said, okay, um, I'll do one this year. I didn't want to roll that dice, so uh, I did one, and um, and mine was entitled "Is uh, I Believe in the Gray," and basically the concept of that was uh, one of my opening lines was, "I believe that black and white thinking is threatening this profession and ruining our country." and we need to believe in the gray. And then I gave uh, examples, um, one in business, one in sports, and uh, one in politics of, of uh, what I think that means. Yeah, and, and I, had, I had asked you a, a, a little bit ago to, uh, to come on and talk about this because I got a chance to listen to it on your podcast, Profiles and Leadership, and we'll mention that in a little bit. Um, and uh, I thought, I believe in the gray right now. What you just mentioned, black and white thinking is ruining the country, ruining the world. It's, it's ruining things, black and white thinking. I thought now more than ever, that statement really has meaning. Yeah, it's it's just I mean, the events that are happening right now is just uh, so disturbing. But but it is that it's that we're just so polarized. We're forced into thinking, you know, black or white on, on all these these different issues. And it's, it's everything in life. So uh, to me, you know, uh, different opinions can coexist. Um, yeah. I can sit there and talk to you and have a deep discussion and get down to the nitty gritty and be vulnerable and do all that and still disagree with you, but I'm listening and I'm trying to understand your perspective. And once I understand your perspective, maybe I think a little differently about it. That's, that's to me what, what, what needs to happen. And, uh, and in politics and, and our, even in our profession and other things, we're, we're forced into, uh, you know, thinking this way or that way. And there's no way that you could 
you could think both ways, which is kind of what I say. It's it's in the gray. I'm comfortable in the gray. Yeah. And we learned that in PT school I did at Marymount University, which is it depends. And to me, it depends is believing in the gray. Uh, some crazy guests uh, where you could where you can listen to I believe in the gray, the full speech. I didn't want we talked about how, how you wanted to how we could talk about this without you just delivering the full speech. And I didn't want you to do that. I want people to listen to it in its entirety, the way you delivered it at Profiles and Leadership at Steve's podcast on iTunes. Some crazy guests, Daniel Pink. If you don't know who Daniel Pink is, look him up. Rex Chapman, some leaders in, in physical therapy as well. But I wanted you to talk about just briefly the three stories that you told. You mentioned business, politics, and sports. Let's start with business and Daniel Pink. Okay, well, in the interview I did with Daniel Pink, one of the things that he said, which I agree with, is if you look at CEOs that are running companies uh, in our country over the last few decades, they are usually uh, analytical thinkers. They come up mostly through the world of finance. So they're very black and white thinkers and uh, left, you know, uh, left brain thinkers. So what, what you need to do is you just need to say, no, um, I think in the future, and he agrees, we both agree that, that more companies in the future are gonna be uh, run by right brain thinkers. And that's the that's getting into the gray. That's getting into the stuff that's, that's uh, you know, frankly more difficult. But yet when you're dealing with the human component, the, the emotions and the, and, and the experiences and whatever, you can't approach it black and white. It has to be done from a right brain thinking uh, perspective. And so I do think that some of the, the companies now that you see that are the most uh, admired right now, a lot of times are run by right brain thinkers that are, that are bringing the human component into just as important as the financial outcome. Yeah, I think the quote was something like spreadsheets just won't get it done. Or you'd said some of yeah. those. I mean, I was too busy cheering when you said right brain people were smart. I love that because I consider myself. Well, a right -brain. I think the quote was something to the effect of uh, you give me a team that's uh, that communicates, that's dedicated, that trusts each other and work together. And I'll beat your spreadsheets and outcomes every day. There it is right there. I was too busy cheering to, uh, to actually listen to the quote because I was too busy thinking about the next thing because I'm a dreamer. I'm a creative. Uh, there's need for both, but you, it definitely it definitely could be and should be led by those uh, those creative thinkers as well in the future. We're going to need that. We're going to need that mental dexterity going forward. Right. And, and don't get me wrong. You have to pay attention to the black and white things, but it just shouldn't be the focus or it shouldn't be the only thing that matters. Love it. Uh, you went into a cool story that I remember seeing pictures of these two guys when I was younger, but I didn't realize significance about it. And it's the politics story with uh, George right. Bush and Bono from U2. Right. Well, the story, and I, I'll try not to take it out too long here, but um, basically Bono, as you know, is the lead singer of U2. And um, in, in the mid 2000s, he would go to his concerts and often pull out his cell phone and try and call the White House to talk oh, to George to complain about, you know, his, his policies. So George heard about this. George W. heard about this and said, geez, you know, I, I like you two and, and I like Bono. So I, I want to talk to him about it. So he invited him to the Oval Office. And and when they got there, George W. handled it brilliantly in the way that he said, OK, let's talk about something. We have a chance to, to learn something. From it. So we're not going to talk about Afghanistan and Iraq because we're not going to agree on that. So right. let's talk about something that, that maybe we can find some common ground. So Bono said, OK. And so George said, so what do you want to talk about? And he goes, well, how about Africa? And so Bono said, OK, so um, educate me on Africa. So he told him about Africa and how the HIV virus was out of control and it was just getting bigger and bigger. And 
and uh, Bono's uh, foundation, Red, was trying to help, but they just didn't have enough oomph on it. And so George W. said, well, what can I do? And he said, well, you can uh, uh, start a program from the U.S. government and, and support it and promote it. And so he started what's called PEPFAR. And between PEPFAR and Red Foundation, uh, those two gentlemen are, are accredited for saving over 20 million lives in Africa. And so here you got two guys that were very black and white in their thinking, I would say, as, as opposed to each other. They came together. They, they found the common ground. They, they went into the gray and, and they did something that we can all uh, celebrate. And, and now those two guys are buddies. Every time yeah. you go through Texas, he, he spends a couple days at George W.'s ranch hanging out with his new buddy. And so it's um, it's a great story. Yeah, that's a, it's a great, um, what can I learn? We might disagree about a lot of things, but is there something I can learn from you? And then maybe there's something I that you can learn from me. Let's find that. Let's focus on there. And maybe we can build a bridge to something else tomorrow. Because when there's a little bit of understanding, we got a chance. Exactly. You know, we all know that uh, if we come from different religions, that we're not going to really talk deep about religion because it's going to go nowhere. But we can talk about sports or we can talk about other things that maybe we can find some common ground and understand each other better. I like that. And uh, the uh, the last story that you had focused on, we went from business to politics and now sports. And ironically, business, yeah. money, industry, it's what things are founded on. Politics, it's how policy is made. To me, the sports story resonated beyond all of that. Well, who would have guessed, you know, we'd be at this point right now. But, um, you know, the story was about Colin Kaepernick. And and I said when I started into the speech, I said I, I hesitate in, in talking about this because people have such a visceral reaction to this. But uh, Colin Kaepernick, as you know, you know, would sit on the bench during the national anthem to protest uh, how um, the black community was being treated uh, in this country. And so Nate Boyer was a long snapper. He's actually trying out, uh, trying to get onto the Seahawks. So I was aware of him. And uh, he's also a Green Beret. And so he, it really offended him. And he did what we all should do in situations like this is not, you know, just judge it and, and go on a, you know, a, a crusade. But he said, I, I need to talk, to, you know, I should talk to Colin about it. And so Colin had him come down there. They had a game that night in San Diego. And so he went down and they had like this two hour, very tense conversation. And in um, they basically hurt each other, hurt each other's perspectives. And then they, they agreed to disagree. Um, you know, Colin wasn't changing his position, but Nate wasn't changing his either. But they, but they both felt they understood each other's position a little more. But what was interesting was Nate said, well, can you just do one thing for me? And he asked Colin, instead of sitting on the bench, to me, it looks like you don't care and that you're not part of your team. And you're just, you know, it, it just it really, really offends me. And for some reason, it offends me less if you would kneel. So could you just kneel? And Colin, because of this relationship they built, Colin said, OK, I can do that. And so that night at the game, Colin Kaepernick nailed during the national anthem and Nate Boyer stood right behind him with his hand over his heart wow. and screaming the national anthem. And for the rest of the time that Colin Kaepernick was in the NFL, he kneeled. And so, again, that's an example to me where it started out very black and white. They came together. They they maybe didn't agree on anything, but there was some gray involved there. And um, and because of that relationship they built in the in the conversation they had, Colin changed what he did slightly, but it made a difference. I I, I forgot, or I don't I don't I forgot that he sat. 
Yeah. Like, but, but the, you know, everybody knows the kneeling now, and that story resonated with me. Those guys, and I like the fact that they didn't, they, they agreed to disagree. They didn't agree. They didn't just, they didn't, it wasn't a Disney movie at the end. No, no. Something still happened. And it rarely is. And, and right. that's the thing is that, you know, again, that's a perfect example of two different perspectives and opinions can coexist and, and still be meaningful. It doesn't have to be black or white. It doesn't have to be you one or you one. And I think in the speech, I also said, it's not who wins, it's do what's right. Yeah, that's right. Uh, and again, I believe in gray. You can hear that in its entirety on Steve's podcast. You're the last guest, so we can go as late as we want. So I want to talk about your show. Yeah, everyone's um, either sleepy or drunk, but it's, it's good. <laughs> you, uh, you do profiles in leadership. You really, really do um, – uh, in depth, I would say like you're like you you get in deep with with the people that you talk to. Like you're you're real. This is a you know you this is a relationship build, but you're diving in deep. Uh, Why did you decide to do a podcast? Why that? Yeah, you know it it's really evolved, and uh, you know I talked to you early on, Jimmy, because you were doing it so well, and and thanks for your advice and, and things that you've done for me in this, and and I started out by doing video. And I did video interviews. In fact, my interview with Daniel Pink is on yeah. both, you know, video and uh, and audio. But um, and people kept saying, well, why are you doing video? And I kind of said, well, because no one else is doing it. So it's, it's kind of cool. But then I figured out why no one else is doing it, because yeah. it's, it's really hard. I can't edit it myself because I'm not that technically uh, skilled to do that. Uh, it costs a lot to get the video crew. You got to fly to where you're going. And it just became cumbersome. So. Uh, I'll do the videos once in a while if I've got a really special guest that maybe I can justify, but most of the time I'm just doing uh, the podcast. The other thing that changed was I started out with 30-minute interviews because everyone said, well, no one's going to listen past 30 minutes. Uh, but the feedback that I got from people was, uh, gosh, just when you were just when I was getting into it, it was over. And you, you yeah. keep going and keep going. And so I decided, okay, maybe that'll be my uh, differential advantage or differential thing that, that I'll just go longer. I mean, you know, people sit and listen to Joe Rogan for three hours. So, yeah. you know, maybe, uh, maybe I can go for an hour. So now most of them are kind of in that hour range and, uh, and it gives you an opportunity to tell a little more in-depth stories and, and find out a little bit more. So, and, and, and I started out almost all physical therapy, but I, I branched out to do more business as well. So I'm, I'm doing a, a mix of PT leaders, but also, uh, you know, uh, leaders, uh, you know, my most recent one is this uh, amazing guy who has won 13 world championships as a pizza chef. Wow. And, and what he does and what he does for his business is uh, we can all learn from that. Yeah. It, it's, 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 it's really fun to do. I learned yeah. something. From I do. Uh, profiles and leadership. I want to make people make sure people, uh, people check that out. And I, ironically, like people do ask me questions. Hey, I want to start a podcast or, you know, what, what's your thoughts on this? Or, and that question is literally probably the first or second is how long should episodes be? And I give literally, I give literally a gray answer. I believe in the gray, which is the minute your interview or your converse, it shouldn't be an interview. It should be a conversation. That's what profiles and leadership is. I try to be, it's a conversation. The minute it, the conversation's over, stop. Yeah. And delete the minute before that. Right. So it might be like Joe Rogan. Why is Joe Rogan? Why are some Joe Rogan episodes three hours? Because he's on a roll and he yeah. understands that. But if he's sitting there thinking like well, the audience is probably checking out, get out. Or as an interviewer, if you're really digging, oh, what, what should my next question be? What should I ask? Yeah. Now? If you're thinking that 
it's time to quit too, because, you know, it should just be a natural discussion. So, yeah. And, and I'll tell people too, uh, I pull back the curtain on how we do this show too. We, we, we give guests like a pre-interview, like questionnaire and really what it is, it's an opportunity for you to let me, the guest, let me know what's on your mind that moment. Right. So I always tell people, I'm a, I'm not even a podcast interviewer. I'm a batting practice pitcher. My yeah. goal is to literally, you loaded the bucket full of balls. My job is to give you nice and easy over the plate so the audience wins. I don't win. I mean, I win because I get to I get to sit here and ask any question I want, but the audience wins for that. And uh and profiles and leadership, you're right. I mean, I, I would tell you go go deep because uh because you got some really, really great insight. You're loaded up with some good questions and you got people with with a story to tell. And storytelling is powerful. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's really fun. It's my fun thing right now. People say, yeah. why do you do that? It's you don't make any money at it. You know, I, I don't have any sponsors yet. I, you know, whatever. Uh, and it's just because I really do enjoy it. And I look forward to each and every one. And, and as I said earlier, uh, for me as an interviewer, um, I think I, I go in knowing quite a bit about my guest or whatever. I learn something new and yeah. every single time. I had a, a roommate in PT school who, when I first started this podcast, and again, I will credit a previous guest from tonight, uh, Sky Donovan. When I kicked this idea to her, uh, she literally had a blank expression on her face, and she's usually very animated. I was like, I'm thinking about doing a podcast, and she went blank, and I was like, that is not a good – that's not a good face. Yeah. She literally went blank because she's like, that's a great idea. And I had a roommate in PT school who asked me, you know, because I, I lucked out. I mean, episode seven or something like that was Sharon Dunn. For some reason, Sharon Dunn took a flyer on a PT student, and he said to me, what are you going to do when you've already interviewed all the famous people in PT? And I, that was the moment because I was a second year, a second career student. That was the moment I realized that he didn't know yet that you can learn something from anybody. Exactly. Exactly. And I think some of the, the best guests are some of those, you know, unsung heroes that, you know, not Absolutely. everybody knows about. And then they discover it's like, oh, my gosh, this person's amazing. So uh, that, that's our job. We need to dig out uh, people from all walks of life that uh, have something to say that can make a difference. Uh, I got to ask you about this because I haven't had a chance. To, I didn't realize you had this guy on your show. So I, before I get to listen to Profiles and Leadership this episode, yeah, I want to hear from you. How was Rex Chapman? Uh, it was amazing. Um, you know, I don't, I don't know how many people know his story, but uh, obviously he was a huge NBA star. He, uh, um, you know, this is in the 90s. He's probably made over $30 million in his career, which maybe today doesn't sound like quite as much. Back then it was a lot of money. And uh, and he had a typical NBA career and your earlier guest, you know, talked about injuries and how hard it is. And, and he had like seven different surgeries and he was nearing the end of his career. And uh, then he he had um, an appendicitis uh, 14 games before the end of his career. And so they, they went in and they did surgery and a surgeon gave him an opioid and basically said, well, this might be a little painful or whatever. So if you, you do just, you know, pop one of these and. And Rex said, I don't know why I took it, but he said at some point I did. And he goes, it didn't really do anything with the pain, but all my problems went away. Wow. And he said, the next thing I know, I was taking them all. And then I took some more. And, and his story is unbelievable because he got as low as you can go. I don't know how he, I don't know how he stayed alive. When you hear how much um, drug he was taking, uh, you know, at the, at the worst, it was, I don't even see how any human could even consume that. Uh, but you know, he, 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 you know, he lost his, his wife and his, his you know, relationship and, 
and his career and, and everything else. But, you know, when I interviewed him, he came in and man, he looked so fit. And he was about, uh, I believe about three years clean at that time. And, uh, you know, and he's doing stuff just to help the community and, and the guys back. So it's, it's great to see. And, and it's a real ugly story, but it's a good success story. And so, yeah. um, and he was very open and very vulnerable in that interview. Yeah, I heard I heard part of his story. I'll be dead honest. The name sounded familiar, but I think a lot of people out there listening right now know Rex Chapman from his Twitter account. Dogs, bruh. Like yeah. they know that. And I remember thinking, like, why am I I'm following this guy because the stuff he puts out was funny, right? Because I was like, I want some more of this. And then I was like, I feel like I know this guy, but I'm just gonna follow him anyway. And that's ironically how a lot of you know social interactions go. And then I saw a part of his story on ESPN and and, you know, I'm, this is mid, right. It was his career was like ending like mid late nineties. I was yeah. probably like 18, 20. And I remember like, yeah, that name sounds familiar, but that story, if you want to see a story that teaches you something, he's living it. Yeah, exactly. And if you, uh, if you're from Kentucky, he is a hero. He's a God yeah. from Kentucky because he went to the university of Kentucky and he's from Kentucky and uh they just think the world of him and, and even though he went through that horrible time they've they embrace him still and so he's uh, he's back in kentucky where he's loved and he's he's doing good things that's great uh profiles and leadership uh if you're a physical therapist and you're looking for insight things you can't buy you know it's not i, I feel like the way you tell it or the way the way i should say you you leverage the guests telling it um, it's different than a book. It's definitely not a course. It's something very, very different. Personally, as a podcaster, I like it better. It feels more intimate to me. So definitely check out Profiles in Leadership with Steve Anderson. Uh, I want to thank you for taking a flyer on me for inviting me to Gram Sessions right out of PT school. I appreciate that. Thanks yeah. for uh, for jumping on the show and doing this with us. And, and thanks for literally culling, culling together so many different leaders and, and sharing those with people for free. Well, thanks so much, Jimmy. It's been an honor to be on the show. And, uh, you know, uh, you're the gold standard in podcasting. So I try and listen and learn from you. So it's uh, it's a it's a fun thing to do. And uh, yeah, I, I hope more people will listen because uh, there are some really good stories in there. And I got some great guests coming up. So um, it's it's a it's a it's a fun thing to do. All right. Last thing we do on the show, Steve, uh, tradition here, parting shot. What's something you want to leave as your mic drop moment? Uh, as we uh, as we conclude this 90 minute broadcast, I'm just going to reinforce kind of what I already said, but embrace the gray. It's messier, but it's way more rewarding. Yes, it is. The gray. That's where it is. I said it. Gray can be messy. Gray gives you options. You'll hear that. Uh, another great episode right there uh, on profiles and leadership. Steve, uh, right now we can't be together in person. Uh, hopefully we can be soon. I look forward to that as well as all of you want to say thank you to everybody who's uh, dropped by for the whole broadcast. I can't believe some of you guys stuck around and take a, taking a listen to this, uh, this hot mess of a podcast. Thank you to our sponsors. You see them in the corner. If you're looking for information about blood flow restriction, rehabilitation training, you heard Johnny and Kyle Owens recovery science, Dot com Academy of Orthopedic Physical Therapy. If you're looking to advance your practice, that's it. And Arius Medical Staffing. You want to check those guys out if you're looking for a position full-time or travel positions uh, in all 50 states, all settings, A-U-R-E-U-S medical.com. Uh, Steve, thanks so much. And uh, I look forward to uh, having a conversation again in person sometime soon. Absolutely. Can't wait. Thanks for, uh, thanks for having me. Thanks very much. I am going to uh, bring on two young ladies who didn't know I was going to do this. Uh, thank you to producer Juliet and producer Bridget. Hey. You guys unsung. 
but now we're singing you. So you're sung. Uh, heroes for the show. Uh, producer Juliet in Arizona, graduating just past the NPTE. So let's hear it for Juliet. Congratulations. Uh, graduating from uh, from AT Still University. Congratulations. And uh, Bridget, first year student, one week left as a first year student at Sacred Heart University in Connecticut. Uh, without these two young ladies, the show would not happen because I can only push one button at a time. That's all my, I'm, I'm mentally capable for. Uh, so these ladies were behind the scenes making sure the guests got on. That's great. So uh, ladies, thank you so much. We appreciate everything that you do. Wow, we did it. Nothing yeah. monumentally wrong except for my dog barking randomly in the no, back. That's okay. It was so great. <laughs> <laughs> for just a little bit. Yeah, he made an appearance. Uh, thank you guys for taking a listen. Uh, if you'd like us to do this again, please drop a comment and let us know. Hey, like, hey, well, that was cool. Please let us know who you'd like to hear from in the future, right? Drop that comment. Also, the koozie contest, want to mention that as well, brought to you by Owens Recovery Science, brought to you by Arias, brought to you by the Academy of Orthopedic Physical Therapists. Uh, we're going to send out some of these koozies right to you. We've got 100 of them to give away. We want to mail one to you. So make sure you go to ptpinecast.com right now and get in the running for that. Uh, ladies, parting shot from, uh, from tonight's show. What do you got? I'm not going to put you on the spot or anything, but I'm going to put you on the spot. You know what, with everything that's going on, just keep strong and move forward. Love it. Bridget, what do you got? Parting shot. There are a lot of different ways you can take PT, and they're all cool. <laughs> how I, it. I don't know what I want to do. I anymore. love how chill that was. Students <laughs> are so smart. I love it. Uh, thank you guys for sticking around. Thank you guys for, uh, for, for helping put on the show. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, we, uh, we appreciate uh, you, and uh, I think that's it. Let's just play the last thing and get this thing done with.